All right, everybody, welcome to the 50th episode of Goalful Crypto. This has been a really exciting journey, and with, for this episode, we're finally going to talk about Ethereum, <laughs> the number two cryptocurrency in the world. What are you laughing at? Well, what an episode to choose for Ethereum. Yeah, episode 50? Yeah. So in episode 49, we talked about DeFi, and it felt like we didn't quite cover what Ethereum was. And so naturally, we're going to talk about uh, the whole topic of Ethereum today. We're going to talk a little bit about NFTs and what that's all about and what we think about Ethereum and the direction that it's headed. So let's get started, Murga. The thoughts and opinions expressed by Keegan Francis, Murgakshi Palway, and the guests interviewed on the Go Full Crypto podcast are solely their own. The content discussed are intended to be for informational purposes only. All right, so Ethereum, number two cryptocurrency on the market right now. <laughs> A lot of our friends and some of our clients, um, you know, come to us and say, okay, Bitcoin, sure, but what about Ethereum? Well, the, well they usually say, like, what other tokens should I invest in? And Ethereum kind of inevitably is the second question because it's the number two cryptocurrency. So let's, um, you know, quickly talk about what Ethereum is. It came out in 2014. Well, it came out in 2015. It was proposed in 2014. It was in 2014, came out in 2015. The idea came out in 2014. Um, and it was one of the reasons for the crypto boom in 2017. Now, why that is, is because it came out with a solution for developers to enable outside interaction with the blockchain as well as like create new tokens it's a token platform in essence yeah so with respect to bitcoin bitcoin is bitcoin right you can't create uh i don't know bitcoin tree on top of bitcoin and have it live like a bitcoin is not you know the the parent of this particular new token called bitcoin tree however with Ethereum, you have tons of projects that essentially live on top of Ethereum um, and have their own name. So one of these tokens is uh, like CryptoKitties, for example, is an example of a project that lives on the Ethereum blockchain. And um, the Brave Browser is another one, for example. And, and their the token is, is BAT. The, yeah, the basic attention token. And that's a token that doesn't have its own distinct blockchain. It's a token that is a sub-token of the Ethereum blockchain. So with respect to Bitcoin, it is a little bit more complicated than this. Uh, like you can have sub-tokens on Bitcoin, like US dollar Tether, for example. But in essence, Bitcoin's the only token on Bitcoin. Whereas yeah. Ethereum is home to more than 200,000 tokens. Yeah, one of the biggest differences is that you don't need to start another blockchain to have your own cryptocurrency. You can just have your project live on the Ethereum blockchain and still have a new cryptocurrency. Right. So one of the, the core innovation was developers could basically at like at the click of a button, create their own cryptocurrency. And then that extends to like maybe business individuals or artists. Uh, it basically simplifies the process of, of the creation of whatever you want to tokenize or create a token for. Whereas before you needed to be a computer scientist or a programmer to copy Bitcoin's code, change the, the parameters of it into something else, maybe like Litecoin or Monero, 
and then deploy that as your own blockchain network and source the your network participants. Like none of that exists with Ethereum. All you need to do essentially is copy paste, click a button, boom, deployed. It costs about 50 bucks to deploy a token, give or take. Used to. Used to. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit more expensive now. Right. So, you know, again, um, a couple of years ago, Keegan, you and I both got scholarships uh, through the Consensus Academy. And we went through this 11 week boot camp to learn how to code on the Ethereum blockchain. So that was fun and all of us because we wanted to be more familiar with, you know, what's out there, what's happening in the crypto world and how we can co contribute to, um, you know, whatever's already out there. So that brings us to, well, today in 2021, a day in March. And Ethereum is an interesting topic, according to us, because it started off with um, an innovative idea and it you know became quite successful with bringing forth its innovation to a m number of people around the world but it hasn't been as successful with carrying the momentum exactly. and, and, and following through on it which is our main critique so this is the point in, in the conversation that's out you get a polarized opinion which so now would actually be a good time to state our bias and, and tell you about our position in Ethereum, which is that we don't currently hold that name. We used to, and I used to mine it, for example. Keegan uh, wrote that ab about that in his newsletter, by the way. If you haven't already checked it out, go to keeganfrancis.substack.com and check out his newsletter. Yeah, you can read about how I built a, an Ethereum miner and then uh, invested in these, uh, these things called initial coin offerings, which is when a project creates a new token, they need to sell it to the public. And usually the price is lower at the time of sale than it is when it launches on an exchange and you can sell it at a profit. But it was that was taken advantage of and lots of pump and dumps happen. That's that's kind of a longer story, though. Maybe we'll get into that later. The point is that we don't own any Ethereum right now uh, for a couple of reasons. <clears throat> and we, we feel like we needed to state that bias already so that you that the listener uh, can know where we stand on the project and, and kind of evaluate what we say against uh, where our investments actually are. Right on. Yeah. So let's start with some of our biases, I guess. Um, Ethereum, as far as I know, and I have uh, kept track of, has been late on every single deadline that they have set for themselves. I don't know if I can say every single, so scratch that, but they have been late on a lot of commitments that they've made to their community on um, like bringing out a new... Um, Upgrades. Upgrade, yeah, upgrading their blockchain. So why does it need to be upgraded? Oh, because it's super heavy right now. and Heavy uh, in the sense that it's congested. So uh, for, for reference, uh, we're talking about transaction throughput here. How many transactions per second can the network process? And this matters because when the network is congested, um, the transaction fees for the network go up um, because whoever pays the higher fee can uh, get their transaction prioritized above people who pay lower fees. And so Bitcoin can transact about six transactions per second. Ethereum can transact about 25, but that's not sufficient for a global load of transactions. And so Ethereum for the last three or four years has been experiencing a scaling problem. And this is what these upgrades that are late are supposed to address. But the, the common analogy that we use to uh, to articulate the kind of problem Ethereum is experiencing is uh, it's it's like trying to upgrade a rocket ship while it's in flight, right? How are you supposed to like switch rocket ships or make your rocket ship better when it's already lifted off the ground? And that's that's and a really not tough... in the outer atmosphere because then you have less gravity. Right. 
Wow. So that's a Let's really, wait for these sirens. These sirens. Yeah. Wow. I hope I hope they're okay. Okay. Yeah, this Sorry is a really that, tough folks. problem to solve. So I don't want the the listeners to, to feel like we're bashing Ethereum here because in in essence, it's a really tough problem. And it's I like Ethereum. I want it to succeed. I just don't think it will. That's that's kind of where I stand with with Ethereum. And I don't. There's a lot of uncertainty with the uh, with the future of of Ethereum. It doesn't feel concrete to me like like the the future of Bitcoin or other projects feels concrete. Actually, you know what? Bitcoin is the only project that feels <laughs> feels concrete in the future to me. <laughs> oh my gosh, Egan. Yeah. Um, so with respect to Ethereum, I have heard arguments and counter arguments against Bitcoin. Uh, sorry, not Bitcoin. Ethereum as Ethereum also receiving institutional investment and a lot of very successful projects already being heavily invested in Ethereum and wanting to um, invest in its future success as well. So yeah, just to give a like a topological layout of uh, of Ethereum and its components and the maturity of them, uh, ETH or ETH or Ether, like that's the core asset of Ethereum. That's the the dominant token. Uh, everything on the network runs on Ether, and that's actually a fairly mature asset as as like a financial instrument. As far as, far as financial instrument goes, it's uh, there's Ethereum ETFs out there. Don't exactly know where they are, but you can do uh, Ethereum derivatives. There's just a lot of uh, indication that Ethereum, the asset, sorry, Ether, the asset is being held, used, purchased uh, by really large institutional players, similarly to to Bitcoin. And so that's that's a cool aspect of maturity for Ethereum. And on the other side, the community. The community is also well developed. There's a big developer following now, an artist following, uh, as well as just the community that supports the success of Ethereum and the <clears throat> projects that it currently is um, supporting. Right, that that's a well developed community. Where we see the pitfall of Ethereum is the technology, and that that's again no uh, shortcoming of the developers. Like amazing, really smart individuals are working on Ethereum right now to try and launch it. Uh, but at launch 2.0, Ethereum 2.0, and the constituents of it. But uh, they're, they're having problems with it, which is understandable, because again, it's like trying to uh, upgrade a rocket while it's in flight. And I have also heard the, um, the argument that, okay, sure, Ethereum has its problems with scaling, but so does Bitcoin, and Bitcoin still is doing fine. And, and that's true. We have technology that, um, uh, that has the capacity to settle thousands of transactions, hundreds of thousands of transactions per second today on the blockchain. Um, but you know, if someone can say, also say, someone's also said that Bitcoin is clunky. It um, slow. It's, it's slow. It's, it's congested. It is archaic. It is congested, and it is also expensive to currently transact on the Bitcoin network because of how congested it is. So the whole. Uh, you can send money to anyone in the world um, in, on average, 10 minutes or less for a fraction of the cost that you currently need to use. That's not currently the case because of the number of transactions that are taking place on the Bitcoin network. So compared to ETH heads, that's what they're called, right? <laughs> that's kind of a derogatory term. But oh my yeah. gosh, sorry. Okay, um, ETH people. Believers, Ethers? Oh gosh, I'm not really Ether sure. Ether people, I don't Ether know. People. Okay, let's Wow. Etherites. That sounds like meteorites. Okay, ether people. 
Wow, I'm sorry if anyone's an Ethereum fan and I'm totally butchering the community as it is. You're pigeonholing them and putting them in a box, labeling them. However, we digress. Um, So, (laughs) you know, if Bitcoin being as clunky as it is can exist because of the amount of support and social consensus that it receives on a daily basis, um, then why wouldn't Ethereum, because even though it has the scaling problem or even though it has been later on, you know, most of the deadlines, I'll actually offer the like the, the counter the, argument. The, the answer, yeah, the counter argument. Like, why can't why would Ethereum fail if it can't scale? Because I don't think Bitcoin will fail if it can't scale in transaction throughput. Because there's the Lightning Network and there's Layer Two solutions and there's side chains. But Ethereum needs to scale uh, because it is a it's a blockchain that is meant to transact millions of transactions per second. Uh, in order to fulfill the use cases, the use cases being DeFi, high transaction frequency programs like uh, like betting markets, uh, like you're going to need tr- thousands of transactions per second in order to facilitate a, uh, a betting market, for example, or, or an NF- NFT marketplace. Ethereum cannot make do with 25 transactions per second. Bitcoin can make do with the base layer having six transactions per second. And then having uh, little smaller transactions take place on on uh, layer two solutions like side chains, Lightning Network, etc. Uh, so that that's kind of the argument. Like in order for Bitcoin, sorry, in order for Ethereum to succeed, it needs to scale at, at its uh, at its base layer. Yeah, and adding on top of that, one of the reasons again for our bias uh, for not seeing Ethereum continue to be successful is because of the amount of money it currently takes to transact on the Ethereum network. <laughs> Keegan touched on that a little bit earlier. So uh, the fees right now, we you know, we talked about Bitcoin. We said it's not as inexpensive as it used to be. So on average, it's, you know, $20 to send a transaction on the Bitcoin network. On Ethereum, it's upwards of $50 to anywhere like around $200 as well. Yeah, so it's fifty dollars to send an ether transaction, but it can be two hundred dollars and more to uh, interact with these things called smart contracts on on the platform. And smart contracts are code. Earlier, we mentioned that Ragakshi and I went to or we didn't go to Consensus Academy, but we took a course, an from, online bootcamp. Yeah, from Consensus Academy, where we learned how to write smart contracts. Just think of pl- uh, programs. Uh, that run on a blockchain. I, I don't exactly. That, Do you have a nice way of encapsulating that for our audience, Murga? Oh, well, think of smartphones. It's called a smartphone because it serves the function of a lot of different uh, things that you used to use. For example, an alarm clock or an email, whatever. Um, yeah, you've got many apps on your phone. I know you didn't like this analogy that what? I used the other day, but yeah. like I like to think of smart contracts as apps on the phone. So in that sense, your phone is the Ethereum blockchain, but a like the basic attention token would be a single app within the phone. And yeah, uh, but a smart contract is essentially like you know, imagine a contract. You read a couple of things, and then you have to go and sign it, and then becomes a contract. What a smart contract is, imagine those things that are written on a normal contract are written in code, and then uh, the smart contract is plugged into uh, the conditions that are in that contract, and if they are met, then the contract self-executes which is what makes it smart it you know once a program once a programmer codes it in all that needs to happen is the conditions need to be met and of course it needs to be all digital so if that happens then it executes on its own without the need for a third party or a lawyer or whatever yeah let's actually illustrate that that thing that you just said uh, like a self-executing contract uh, with an example and the, the example that we usually give to people is when you buy a house 
it's a it's not a transaction between you and the seller of the host. It's a transaction between you, the lawyer, the bank, and the seller of the host. Um, so it's it's kind of a multi-party agreement. Now, what the lawyer does is it makes sure that the money is in their hands and the deed of the host is in their hands before releasing the deed to you, the buyer, and the money to the seller of the host. And only if all of the money and the deed have arrived at the lawyer's office, do they release that to the other side. Now, this is a contract and it can be modeled in code. We can write that in code and then have the Ethereum blockchain execute that for us. So if we had a token that represented the deed, and if we had $200,000 worth of Ethereum representing the money that the, the seller wanted, someone can deposit the Ethereum, someone else can deposit the deed, and then the smart contract without the lawyer or the bank can automatically send it to the other parties. And that's, uh, that's a, in essence, a smart contract. That's a really lightweight example. So just taking this back to the conversation of fees, uh, you can have some really complex programs, right? So if you got a program that is five lines long, that's a light program. If you've got a program that is 250 lines long, it's heavier in the sense it's like it, it's there's more kilobytes to that program. And interacting with that program on the Ethereum blockchain costs you more money. It can cost you upwards of $200 in order to do a transaction with that contract and uh, that's a big problem right now like there's no there's no way that uh, the individual who uh, you know lives on two dollars a week can interact with ethereum and so they can't participate in DeFi and they can't participate in nfts and so ethereum has this narrative of banking the unbanked but if you if you are a part of the unbanked then chances are you can't pay a 50 dollars transaction fee to, to move four dollars right uh, I, I'm just going to put in there, thanks, Keegan, that was a really beautiful way to describe uh, an example for the, the uh, for smart contracts. Something that I want to put out there is also um, like banking the unbanked. Bitcoin is known as people's money. And I've also heard this narrative that, oh, it costs $20 on average and like lots of time for um, a transaction to propagate on the Bitcoin network. So how is that, uh, you know, people's money anymore? Because now only the rich can... Um, uh, afford to buy bitcoin for one that's or use it or use it <clears throat> yeah. like well one half of that argument is not true because you don't have to buy full bitcoin you can buy a hundred millionth of a bitcoin and it depends on your reason to buy bitcoin is it to preserve your wealth then then like you don't have to worry about um spending it yeah spending <laughs> it and then it. the other thing is also we don't have financial services in some parts of the world where you can receive money without having money you know, you need to, in order to create a bank account in some parts of the world, you need to have money to open that bank open account. A bank account. Yeah. And if you need to receive money, let's say you have your, some of your family members that are sending you remittance uh, payments um, or remittance, sorry, um, you, you can't accept it if that's the first time they're sending it and you don't have any money to open the bank in the first place. So you don't need to have Bitcoin to receive Bitcoin. You just need to have a, an address or a wallet and uh, you can receive Bitcoin from anywhere in the world. You don't have to pay a thing. Um, and like some resources, some banking, some financial institutions where you have to pay money to receive money and, or pay money to have a bank account. So some arguments hold true in that whole comparison between Bitcoin and Ethereum and others don't. For example, like um, like someone who earns two dollars a day probably won't use Bitcoin to transact. Like Bitcoin, 
there are other solutions that uh, can reduce the fees considerably if someone wants to use Bitcoin as a transaction, as a medium of exchange. But we, we don't believe it's there yet anyway. So it, it's not Bitcoin's time yet for that. Not it's to be fully realized. It's certainly there for larger scale transactions. But yeah. We should probably stop talking about Bitcoin though, because this uh, is yeah, the yeah. Ethereum episode. I know, I know. But I just wanted to make a comparison between um, the arguments of Ethereum versus Bitcoin. So, yeah. So I don't, I, I like, I don't even agree with like lumping them in the same category because I, I don't think Ethereum competes with Bitcoin at all. Like Ethereum is a completely different beast and has other competitors. Bitcoin stands alone on top of the hill. For sure. And that's your perspective on things. Mm -hmm. uh, this is just to offer a perspective of um, if if Ethereum is was dubbed as uh, banking the unbanked and it can't be dubbed as that anymore because it takes so much money, costs so much money to interact with the Ethereum blockchain. Um, well, yeah, just a comparison. I think the reason why it can't bank the unbanked, though, is because Ethereum isn't money it doesn't have the properties this is true like of money like like bitcoin does like for example ethereum doesn't have a finite supply and yes the, the ethereum developers are working on uh capping the supply exactly capping it and actually reducing the supply so that's that's kind of cool yeah uh, but oh, that's, that's true too that's not implemented yet um and if we happen to see more uh, characteristics of money uh, present within Ethereum, then uh, I'm happy to revisit this position. But at this at, at this current point in time, I, I don't I don't really see it, it inhabiting those uh, those characteristics. But also, Ethereum's six years old and Bitcoin's twelve years old, right? So Bitcoin's literally has tw twice the amount of time to become uh, mature or mature as a money than Ethereum does, and who knows where we'll be in five years. Um, For sure. And I want to quickly kind of take this conversation to talking about NFTs and in DeFi and how yeah. that all relates. So um, talking about DeFi first, DeFi is financial services that are offered in a decentralized fashion, which is uh, people around the world can offer financial services as opposed to centralized entities being the only ones who are able to offer financial services. Yeah, the financial services can also be offered by uh, like code, uh, for example, like Bitcoin offers you the ability to store your money. And so there's no people involved in that uh, necessarily, right? There's people running computers, but it's the, at the end of the day, it's the code that's giving you that ability. But for lending, uh, like Bitcoin can't do that natively on chain, uh, on the blockchain. You need a smart contract for that. And so that's the core innovation of Ethereum. And Ethereum has really pushed uh, DeFi to the forefront and uh, it's been a proving ground. So like, I love Ethereum for that. Like we've tried so many things as a uh, as an industry with Ethereum that now these other networks, the competitors of Ethereum, are kind of using what Ethereum has learned. Like the, Ethereum stumbled lots, right? But now these other projects are implementing and uh, rounding off the edges and polishing the aspects of Ethereum, um, but building it on their own project. So that's kind of interesting to watch play out. Right on. Um, and so that's you know a quick briefer on how Ethereum introduced the ability to create decentralized finance and make that available to the world. The second thing is NFTs. Now, NFTs stand for non-fungible tokens. Can you define fungibility for us? Oh, okay. Fungibility determines uniqueness of something. So, or non-fungibility determines unique... Well, fungibility is the uniqueness of something and non-fungibility is the fact that there is only one of that 
Am I doing? No I think it's again? the other way around. Oh gosh. Yeah, you said fungibility determines uniqueness, but fungibility, if something's fungible, then every part is the same as every other part. Right. And so think of a penny, right? Or think of it like a Canadian loony or American dollar bill. They're actually not fungible because there's different serial numbers on each one of them, but it doesn't matter if I, if you and I each have a dollar bill. Neither one of us are going to feel bad if we trade that one dollar bill. Except right? if one of the dollar bills has a signature of uh, some celebrity on it or some precedent. And then right. that just that doesn't become a fungible dollar bill anymore. It becomes non-fungible because now it has added value and it is a unique one dollar bill because it has a famous person's signature on it. That's a great example. Yeah. Or yeah. like another one, it's like if it's it's a rip, you know how you just feel weird about <laughs> accepting money with a rip in it? You're like, oh, I don't know about this. Yeah. That's, that's It should represent the same amount of money, which is one dollar. But for some reason, it becomes less, quote unquote, valuable than another dollar bill that doesn't have a rip in it. It's not fungible with the rest of the one dollar bills. Exactly. Wow. That's such a that's such a funny word. Fungible. I know. Like, when I heard reminds it, I was me like, of fungus. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, okay, so non-fungible tokens or NFTs are tokens that represent projects di or digital things. Let's define it this way. Non-fungible tokens are unique, first and foremost. They're, okay. they're, they're typically one of a kind. Um, the second thing about non-fungible tokens is that they're non-divisible. So I can't have half of an NFT. So if I have an NFT, a non-fungible token that represents a piece of art, I can't have half of that piece of art. I must own the entire one non-fungible token that is that piece of art. Uh, and, and then that brings, brings us to ownership because yeah. um, in a digital world, you it's, it's hard to determine this the like, originality of anything that is created. Um, a really good example to the physical world is you have Mona Lisa, the painting of Mona Lisa, and there's only one original painting of Mona Lisa. There's tons of prints of Mona Lisa. And if I took a really good picture of the painting and then printed it in the same size, framed it in the same way, um, you know, it's still not going to rep represent the original painting of Mona Lisa. So in the same way with NFTs, um, it's not divisible. It is unique in its sense. And the third thing is it can help determine the ownership of something that is represented digitally. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. Now, I think we should talk just briefly about how confused we are with <laughs> NFTs, um, <laughs> because uh, you and I have conversations multiple times a week where we're like, OK, NFTs, that's a picture. That's a JPEG. And if I copy that JPEG, I can download a copy of it. But I don't own the NFT behind the JPEG, but I still own the JPEG because it's a copy on my computer. So like there's the dichotomy between what is ownership and do, do people really feel like that that digital signature sitting on Ethereum blockchain is worth $50,000? Like even though that we can distribute that JPEG around the internet an infinite number of times, like what is the importance of having that digital signature on Ethereum that says you are the quote unquote original owner of it? Like I don't it, quite understand. It's a digital collectible. Sure. Right? Like you and I, we're not going to spend uh, a, an absurd amount of money buying a piece of painting that was painted by... Picasso. Sure. I don't even know if that's for sale. But, you know, we're not going to do that because you and I don't get it. You you and I, if we really wanted to actually I do Picasso... I do get that because you, that... Doesn't... Because it's physical? Because it's physical. But then I'm, I'm like okay, I don't slightly hypocritical because I've, I've literally had conversations <laughs> with my dad where he's like, Bitcoin's not physical. Therefore, I don't get it. 
It's like, okay. Wow. You're right? aging in the sense of like not <laughs> accepting NFTs as yeah, something collectible. I vegan. get Bitcoin. Bitcoin's fine. NFTs. I don't know. I know. It's, so it's, it's a true. collectible. I get, yeah. I get it on one hand and I don't on the other. Like I totally understand why people want these things because there's a lot of hype around them. And uh, honestly, people are producing. Not, cause they, not because there's a lot of hype around them. No, though. no. I think that there's lots of people buying NFTs them, specifically because there's hype and they, they, they think they can make a profit. Well, sure. But there still is something valuable about owning a digital collectible that, uh, that it, whose originality can be tracked back to something that says, okay, this is the original piece of okay, this collectible. Yes. However, that, uh, that originality being tracked back to like its time, like when it was incepted or created on the Ethereum blockchain, like how do we know that that, that JPEG wasn't distributed before then? And then if Ethereum goes down for whatever, it implodes, let's say, um, what happens to that NFT and the value that it carries? Like, it, I, I don't know if that that works out that way that's but a very I, good question and then it can be traded if ethereum goes down and I, I wanted to say something just previous and but we got off on another tangent people are creating some really awesome art digital art on on uh and, and like minting them as nfts they're actually really cool i don't know if they're like three million dollars cool i have a, <laughs> i like slightly hard time uh digesting that kind of figure for that that thing because of the things that we pointed out earlier but uh, but yeah, the, the kudos kudos to these people who are put, putting their blood, sweat, well, and tears into these, that's these the art pieces. Ar that's the argument too, right? For NFTs, because now artists have the ability to get complete um, compensation. A, a complete compensation for what they have produced, yeah. whereas before there were third parties that each took a cut, similar to the banking infrastructure. So um, NFTs are, are a way for artists to be able to. Um, transfer complete ownership of their art to whoever buys it and get completely and fully compensated for the production of that art right so Murga, why don't you take us out it, it actually i think we need <laughs> take to have us out. yeah take us out as in like you know and, and uh, close out this episode for sure in whatever way you see fit um yeah, we're gonna have, probably have to have another episode like solely on nfts that's true it'd be really fun to have brad back on yeah um because he's uh He's a Bitcoin maximalist, but he's also a bit of an NFT nut, and he's just knowledgeable about like weird things in the crypto industry. And That's he, true. he knows a ton about NFTs. We did a crossover episode with him. Um, it was Brad Mills with, or Magic and Money. I don't remember the name, uh, yeah. what we named it, but check out his podcast too. It's called Magic and Money. We love Brad. We're working with him on a couple projects, and he's just this huge tree of knowledge and wisdom when it comes to uh, like crypto, well, not, not cryptocurrencies, but Bitcoin and um, just um digital ownership yeah yeah he has a pretty cool history and politics yeah so check it out issues. check it out magic and money his name's brad mills follow him on twitter because he's awesome and we love him we should chill our podcast now oh yeah <laughs> all right folks thank you so much for those of you that have reached out to us and told us that you love our show we really appreciate it and we we love uh finding emails that say that um our show is highly undervalued which uh, which is which is kind of really awesome to hear. So you can purchase our show as an NFT starting <laughs> no. today. <laughs> no, we're not going to do that. Um, but if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, it would do us so much good. Uh, wow, those are tough, weird sentences. It would it would really bring our show up in the charts and make it visible to other people if more people rate it and give it a review. So please give us a review if you're watching on or listening on Apple Podcasts. It would help us out a bunch and introduce your friends to our show so they can learn about cryptocurrency too. Nailed it. Yeah, that's it. So 
just a quick summary, we talked, we started talking about Ethereum. We started off with our bias towards why we are not huge fans of Ethereum. Keegan's written a newsletter on it too, the fact that he used to mine uh, Ethereum uh, and then he stopped mining Ethereum. I'm, I'm just going to summarize that back because it's it's actually my thoughts that I like, that, that you're articulating here. So I, I do like Ethereum. I'm not invested in it because of the uncertainty of it and its future. Uh, I, I think other projects may overtake it and uh, I'd like Ethereum. I want it to succeed. Not enough to put money into it. That's, that's kind of my summary of, of those thoughts. Yeah, your thoughts, eh? My, well, ownership over your thoughts. I'm NFTing them. You gotta NFT your thoughts. They're eight dollars a piece. Uh, you gotta pat patent them, patent them. Yeah. Okay, and then we talked a little bit about how Ethereum was the birthplace for decentralized finance. Thank because you, Ethereum. It did allow for lots of projects to facilitate financial services uh, by people to people all around the world via Ethereum. And then NFTs was also one of the creations on the Ethereum blockchain because uh, the ability to um, mint certain kinds of tokens on the blockchain itself. So Ruga, just hold on. I'm so sorry, but I, I know we're finishing up the episode, but <laughs> Ethereum's not the birthplace of DeFi. And that's that's not my position on it at all. Like Bitcoin would be the, the, the inception of DeFi because DeFi is storage, sending and receiving, and Bitcoin did that in 2009. Ethereum didn't come out until 2015. And if we really want to nitpick, smart contracts came out like in the 1990s by a guy named uh, Nick Zabo. Um, and That's true, yeah. Attempts to make a cryptocurrency were, uh, were present and prevalent before 2008. 2008 was just when the idea of Bitcoin was um, you know, out and then 2009 is when it was actually started. So. And then smart contracts came into the picture in 2015 with Ethereum. So that's what we thank Ethereum for. We don't thank Ethereum for DeFi. We think that DeFi is bigger than Those Ethereum. Those are your thoughts, Keith. These are my thoughts. Just kidding. $8. Oh my gosh. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for listening and watching on YouTube. And uh, we will talk to you soon. Stay tuned.